Lord, please help me to make that which is obtuse, confusing, unclear, very clear, very simple, but so that I do not distort what you are saying through the prophet Daniel. May we understand what it meant to the audience to whom he wrote. May we understand how Jesus understood it. And may we have practical application in our lives today. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Now just a quick review. If we understand Daniel 9.24, we understand the whole prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks. Because he says, 77s are decreed for these things. And we have seen through a series of sermons that the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished all those things. The first three deal with putting away of sin. The second one, the, the, the next one, the, the fifth one, refers to bringing in everlasting righteousness. And then, to, that, that's the fourth one, and then sealing up vision and prophecy, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the book of Hebrews, has at the end of the Old Testament era completed the prophecies of God from that book. And then finally, the sixth thing is to anoint the most holy, which we have seen very clearly refers to the temple, the holy of holies. And it points to the Lord Jesus Christ, who in his own body became the fulfillment of the temple and by the outpouring of the Spirit has made you and me to be living stones within the New Testament temple that God is still building today. And so we, we understand those, those six things point to the Lord Jesus Christ. Any effort to understand the 70 weeks without their being centered in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is simply erroneous and leads to bizarre things. And if things are so complicated and they require this and that to be inserted in it, they're obviously wrong. Now, why the sevens? The sevens, as we saw in the very beginning in looking at the 70 weeks, point us back to the Jubilee. The Jubilee was the whole reason why the Jewish people were in exile. They had failed to keep the Sabbaths of God decreed in the Old Testament. Every seven years and then every seventh seven years brought in the Jubilee. In the Jubilee, no matter how rich George Soros might have been, you get to go back to your family homestead and reclaim it. Even though Bill Gates has bought much farmland in the United States, I know that because a former deacon in my congregation worked for him, farming land, overseeing the farmland. You know what? In the Jubilee, you go to get it back. And that's what Ahab didn't like. And that's what Jezebel didn't like. And when Ahab was moping because he wanted Naboth's vineyard, and Naboth was honoring God's law in which it was his family's Land, and he refused to sell it. And there, poor Ahab, just whining and moping, and Jezebel came just like a mama, 
Don't worry, Ahab. Are you not the king? And that's the basic thing to understand. Human beings are not the king. God's word is the king. As Samuel Rutherford entitled a book, Lex Rex, the law is king. But Jezebel didn't believe that because she was a priestess from the idol worshipers in Tyre and Sidon. And she was a worshiper of Baal. So they arranged for Naboth to be stoned. So you see the whole backdrop of the book of Daniel is that Daniel is one who goes into exile when the last godly king, the last independent king of Judah is killed by Pharaoh Necho and Israel comes under the rule of Egypt and then later of Babylon. And so when Nebuchadnezzar II, the emperor of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, first began to exercise lordship and control over Judah, young Daniel was taken captive. So he's there at the beginning and he's there all the way through. And he's studying the scriptures because something momentous has happened. What's happened is that the Medes and the Persians have conquered the city of Babylon. And so now Daniel is anticipating because it's been 70 years since 609 BC. He's anticipating Judah and Israel able to return to the promised land. And that's what this is all about. And so Daniel's been studying it because Jeremiah had said that there would be 70 years of captivity so that the land could keep the Sabbath. Wow. And so Daniel wants to know about it. And the angel Gabriel comes to tell him about it. So that's the background. And that's why it's 77s. This isn't about literal years. It's about the symbolism of sevens. That is the Sabbaths. It's the symbolism of the Sabbaths. And the first segment of, of seven Sabbaths is during a time of great trouble. And all you have to do is read places like Ezra and Nehemiah to understand the terrible troubles that began in the early days. And that's why even though Israel returns from its captivity to Jerusalem, it doesn't build the temple. And it's only in 516 B.C. that the temple is built and, and consecrated to God, 520 to 516, which is exactly 70 years from the time the temple was destroyed in 586. Now that's a lengthy review, but I just want us to see that. So this whole thing is pointing to the ideal jubilee. And you know, you remember when the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of Luke returns to the synagogue where he was brought up and he stands as an indication he wants to give a reading of Scripture and he's handed Isaiah 61 and he reads it about the great jubilee and then he sits down and makes a comment and says, This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your, hear, in your ears. 
So Jesus brings in the great jubilee. That's what Daniel 9.24 is telling us. And then it's spelled out as we go further down. So looking at verse 26, after the 62 sevens, what is 62 plus 7? 69. Because you've got seven sevens and you've got 62 sevens. That means during the 70th week. So in other words, after the 69 weeks, during the 70th week, all this happens. Now notice what he says. After the 62 sevens, that is during the 70 weeks, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. Who is the anointed one? He is obviously the Messiah. You see, if we see the first six things spelled out in verse 24, we understand this is about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's messianic. And so what happens is the Lord Jesus, as as we saw last week, he was cut off. That points to the accursed Death that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered in your place and mine. He's cut off in covenant judgment. And so then he goes on and he says that he'll have nothing. Then he says, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, as soon as I finish Daniel 70 weeks, I'm going to Matthew 24 and 25. Because if we want to understand the prophecy of the 70 weeks, we need to understand their fulfillment in light of what the Lord Jesus Christ himself explicitly teaches. Because the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 24, in Mark Mark 13, and in Luke, wait a minute, Luke 21, he said in all three places... When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. But by the way, in Luke, he doesn't say when you see the abomination of desolation. Because Luke is writing for Gentiles. And they're not familiar with that terminology. So he said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that her desolation is near. And so what we see is this. Jesus clearly, explicitly, absolutely teaches in what we call the Olivet Discourse that the end of Daniel's 70 weeks, the punishment part, that destruction part is accomplished within 40 years of his death. Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse, again, Matthew 24, uh, Luke 13, Um, excuse me, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. He says, this generation will not pass till all these things have been fulfilled. This is very important. That doesn't rule out that we might see this recapitulated near the end of the age. But it does mean that what we have in view in Daniel chapter 9 is referring to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 40 years later, God Almighty authorizing the Roman ruler, Titus, to destroy the the temple and the city. And we know that's happened. You know, I have a meager coin collection. 
And in that meager coin collection, I have a silver coin minted by the Romans from the silver that they stole when they destroyed the Jewish temple. And it's an interesting little silver coin. And it's a picture of an olive tree and a woman underneath it weeping. And it says in Latin, Judea weeping. Because the Romans took that silver and took that gold. And among other things, they built the Colosseum. So what he's talking about here is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we come down now to look at the next verse, this is very important. Verse 27, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. Now, there are many Bible teachers who misunderstand this verse. And they create and concoct that this is the future Antichrist making a covenant with the Jewish people that is set up to bring about their destruction. But if we understand Daniel 9.24, this is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. He, not the Antichrist, He, not the man of sin, He, not Titus or Vespasian, his daddy, He, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the one who confirms a covenant with many. Now that's interesting language. Confirms a covenant with many. That takes us back, and we'll be very brief in this survey at this point. Just go back for a second to Genesis 15. Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, God enters into a covenant with Abram. Abram has asked God, page 21, um, in verse 8, Genesis 15, 8, how can I know for sure that what you've promised me is going to come to pass? And then God tells Abram to do something really weird to our minds, but in the ancient Near East, it wasn't weird at all. He cuts animals in half, and then he tells them, he cut them in half, and then he, then he says to Abram, know for sure. Know for sure. Look at verse 13. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. They'll be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. And then he says, I'm going to bring them back. Know it. How is he knowing it? Because something weird happens. Look at verse 17. What's in view? When the sun had set... And darkness had fallen. A smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. What is that? Well, you can write this down. We're not going to turn to Jeremiah 34 verses 18 and 19. But we're told exactly what it means. When you pass between the slaughtered animals, what you're saying is in the ancient Near East, if you're a pagan, may the gods... Do this to me and more also if I fail to keep my part of the bargain, my part of the covenant. Now, where's Abraham in all of this? He's totally passive. He has no role in it. What is the smoking 
fire pot and the blazing torch. That's the Lord himself symbolically passing between the slaughtered pieces. What God is saying to Abraham at this point when he makes a covenant with him is, May I be damned if I fail to keep my covenant to you. That's what he's saying. May I be accursed. May I have this done to me if I fail to make sure this covenant doesn't come true. That's what it means. And notice the very next verse, verse 18. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I give this land. Now, turn with me over to the book of Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. And we'll look at page 1146, Isaiah 53. What we have in view is this. Did God go to hell for you? Did God go to hell for you? Because that's what he's told Abraham he would do to make sure that his promise came true. And we see here in the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And you can read the whole thing. But looking at particularly at verse 11. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. For, he says, and he will bear their iniquities. He will bear their iniquities. Reading down. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many. Why does Daniel refer to the many? That's code for the remnant of Israel, the true Israel of God. You see, the great bulk of God's people, the great bulk of the children of Abraham, apostatized from the faith. They turned away from the covenant that God had made with them in Abraham and at Mount Sinai. They turned away from it, and they were lost. But there was always a core. The Israel in Israel... They're not all Israel who are of Israel, but in Isaac your seed will be called, says Paul in Romans 9. And so God makes a covenant with the remnant of Israel, the true Israel of God, the many. And what happens is, as he says here, because he, in verse 12, he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Now turn with me, if you will, over to the Gospel of Matthew for a moment. Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to look there at verse, uh, at verse 27, page 1544. That covenant God made with Abraham had not been made strong. It had not been confirmed. It's simply a visible word of promise when God passes between the slaughtered animals and says, in effect, May I be cursed if what I promise doesn't come true. 
Now, looking here, as it's, as it's foretold in Isaiah, and looking now at Matthew chapter 26 and verse 27. Then he, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What does it mean again to say the many? The many means God's own people. It means his elect. It means the true believers within the nation of Israel and Judah. It means those who are the true seed of Abraham. And it means for those like Ruth in the Old Testament... It means that we who are of Gentile stock, who've been incorporated into the olive tree, Abraham, it means that we too are in view. In other words, the true Jews and the Gentiles who were incorporated into Israel by faith in the Messiah. And Galatians tells us plainly, that we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, and that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So what we really have in view here in Daniel is this. It isn't the Antichrist, God forbid, that that nonsense ever got put into a study Bible. The reason people read that that way is that it was put into a study Bible that was published in 1909. That was an idea concocted by an Anglican priest who divided the scripture up into seven dispensations. And he concocted the idea of the Antichrist. And here's what is the problem with it. In order to have the last part of Daniel's 70 weeks refer to a future Antichrist, you've got to do something. You've got to make the clock stop. You've got to insert a gap in there. You've got to stretch it out to where it goes millennia later. But in the natural reading of the passage, what is in view in Daniel 9.27 is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ who confirmed the covenant with Abraham by being slaughtered on the cross for our sins. And that's how... Going back to Daniel 9, for just a moment, that's how, in verse 27, he will confirm a covenant with many. You know, and I'm struck at how sorry a translation the ESV is. The old NIV is much superior to it. It's not making a firm covenant. It's making firm a covenant. That's what the Hebrew text says. He makes firm a covenant. What covenant? The only other covenant referred to throughout the book of Daniel and in the Old Testament. And I notice further the next sentence. In the middle of the seven, he will do what? He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. What does that mean? Well, we saw what that meant when we were working our way through the first three things 
of Daniel 9.24. When Jesus paid for your sins and mine and the sins of God's elect Israel, he put an end to sin by bearing sin on the cross. And so that's the meaning here. Does it have any reference to a future Antichrist? I think it does. But it's by way of extension. It's by way of application. It's this thing we've seen again and again of reduplication. Prophecies having an initial fulfillment and then an ultimate fulfillment in Christ and then later. But the point is, who put an end to sacrifice and offering? The Lord Jesus Christ. And he carried it out by his agent, the Roman emperors. Because they're the ones that finally, definitively, and absolutely destroyed the ability of the Jewish people to ever know what it is to have their sins forgiven. Because he destroyed the temple. And in destroying the temple... There remains no sacrifice for sins. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. If we sin willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, the writer of Hebrews writes to Jewish believers, there remains no sacrifice for sin. What he's saying in Hebrews is this. The temple has been or is about to be destroyed. And when Jesus died on the cross, the meaning of the temple came to an end because Almighty God ripped the veil of the temple from the top to the bottom when Jesus gave up the ghost on the cross. And 40 years later, God Almighty carried it out through his agents, the Roman emperors, when the temple was destroyed. I've stood on the temple mount. There's not one stone left standing on another. The Wailing Wall is simply the foundation that Herod the Great in his big rebuilding program built. But the temple's been destroyed. I'll write you a $1,000 check. As I said many weeks ago, to anyone who can show me that this temple is going to be rebuilt because it was fulfilled in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's simply brought to a conclusion by agents authorized like God authorized Nebuchadnezzar and the Assyrians and many other agents. The temple is finally definitively destroyed. And so Christ has confirmed that covenant with the many. Are you among the many? I am. How do I know I'm among the many? Because I can look at my life and I can go back to a moment in time, September 4th, 1964, when I repented of my sins and cast myself on God's mercy in Christ. And that conversion has been confirmed over the years because every time that I know I've sinned, sooner or later I repent. Real Christians repent. Sooner or later. Do real Christians fall into sin? Of course. But it's conversion to Christ, confirmed by a changed life. That's how we know we're elect. I'm part of the remnant prophesied in Daniel's 70th week. I'm part of that many 
that with whom the Lord Jesus Christ confirmed the covenant and made it strong. And how did he do it? He did it by dying a cursed death. Just as Almighty God had walked between the pieces and said, May this be done to me if I don't keep my promise. When did God keep his promise? When he hung on the cross and the wrath of God was poured out on him. And he did that for you and he did that for me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ because all scripture points to the Lord Jesus Christ one way or another. We thank you that he confirmed the covenant that was made with Abraham so many thousands of years ago. And he confirmed it when he hung on the tree because scripture says, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles by faith. Thank you for Jesus, Lord. Lord, we don't know what the future holds, whether this will be recapitulated in a final manifestation of the man of sin, final manifestation of the Antichrist. But we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who has fulfilled Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.